Well, I am excited to be here. <laughs> it always feels a little bit weird to be in this spot. But um, uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, we kicked off a new series on 1 John. And um, Christian started that off by looking at the first four verses of 1 John 1. And um, I just wanted to really recap very quickly what he spoke about. And that was, he highlighted to us um, a little bit about who John was, that he was one of Jesus' really close friends, um, that he was one of Jesus' best friends, um, and that he got to, to see and hear and touch Jesus. And as he comes into one John, this is like the experience that he's bringing as he writes this book, that he was, you know, he got to understand so much of who Jesus was in um, and he kind of unpacks that. And, and this book is written at the end of John's life. It's, he's, he's older. And so there's that feeling that he's like laying out what's really important for us to hear as disciples of Jesus. And so today, before we kick into the next five verses, I want to give us another backdrop to, to John's life that I think gives us a really good understanding of the next set of scriptures that we're going to look at um, and so I want you to turn, if you, don't, if you don't come up here on the screen, but if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, you can do that. But we're going to turn to Matthew 16, 24. I'm going to read through to 17, 5. It says, Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. <clears throat> Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? And in 70, chapter 17, it goes on to say, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is so good that we're here. If you want, I will make monuments, three monuments, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell flat on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. So in this passage in Matthew, it starts out, and Jesus is with his disciples, right? He's, you can, I want you to imagine it with me. He's gathered them around and he's laying it out thick. <laughs> this is what it means if you want to be in my gang. Like if you want to follow me and be part of my, my crowd, then to be a disciple means you have to lay everything down. You have to get out of the driver's seat of your life and let me lead it. You have to give up your rights to, to be in control. It's not very appealing, <laughs> It's pretty, not the easy deal. And I, I just can kind of imagine Jesus laying this out to them and them, them being like, oh man, like, wow, this is like, this is what it's all about. And, 
And then it says, it says, doesn't it, that six days later, so they've, they've kind of been rallying with this whole talk that he's laid out for them for six days and, and, and thinking about it and grappling with it. And then Jesus decides that maybe it's a good idea that he takes these three up a mountain. And I, I feel like it's probably one of those things where he's like, man, I, I got to show them something for them to realize why it's all worth it. And so he takes them up the mountain, and they get to witness the transfiguration, which is the only miracle in the Bible that Jesus is actually the miracle in of itself, right? And um, John is there, and he gets this encounter where he watches and gets us a glimpse of the glory of God, right? He gets to experience in person the glory of God. And he gets to hear God say, this is my son, Like, he's legit. Listen up. What he's telling you is the way forward. And I, and as John comes now, like as we go into one John, what I think is just incredible is that he had this experience. Like, he got to see the glory of God. And he's coming into one John, and he's like, guys, before I go into what it means to be a disciple, like, you have to understand this. Right? He starts 1 John 1, 5, and he says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So he's gotten to see the transfiguration. He's like, God is light. Like, I've seen it. Like, I have no words to describe it. Like, you have to get this. Like, it's like when you have an experience and you're like, I can't even put it into words, but God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. In 1 Timothy 6, uh, 15 and 16, it says that God alone possesses immortality, the absolute exemption from death. And he lives in unapproachable light to whom no man has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power and dominion. And for the rich in this present world, instruct them not to be conceited and arrogant, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, this God of light, who richly and ceaselessly provides us with everything. So we have this picture that John has given us, right, that God is light. And we know that God is immortal, that he was from the beginning to the end. There's no end to him. That he's light, but that he also dwelled in unapproachable light. Like we can't, we can't enter that presence in our physical bodies because it's so beyond anything that we've ever experienced. And so we get this picture that God, like God is radiant. He is, he's so powerful. He's extraordinary, like beyond anything that we can comprehend. And yet we know that God, this incredible God that's beyond our mind, has made himself approachable, right? He sent Jesus who was was like, um, all of that was taken out. He was veiled as a man. He came to earth Why? So that we have access, full access, to this incredible, powerful God. And I think sometimes that when we walk life, we kind of forget that, right? That God isn't like us. He's not like our friend or our family or, or, you know, all that really holy person that you can think of that you think has got it all together. He's set apart and holy He's all-powerful. He's all-present. And that's who we have access to, right here, right now. And that, yeah, being a disciple means laying it all down. It means 
taking the bits of the Bible that make us feel really good, and it means taking the bits of the Bible that are difficult and tricky and we can't understand, and we have to follow it anyway. But when we do that, we get access to this incredible God. And I think that sometimes, I think John wants us to grasp this. He wants us to stop and be like, guys, show us your glory, God. Like, show us a glimpse of who you are. How often do you sit and say, show me your glory? Show me a glimpse of who you really are, because you are unlike anything that I get to experience around me. Going on into verse 6 and 7, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, right? God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is where it starts to get a bit nitty gritty, (laughs) right? He starts to delve into what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. So John starts to talk about the areas of our life in terms of light and dark. And light is referring to everything that is good, that's godly, that's righteousness, everything that is in alignment with who God is. Dark is everything that's sinful, everything that's you know, evil, everything that's in our life that's not in alignment with who God is. And John has made it crystal clear, right, at the beginning, that God does not dwell in the darkness, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And so it says, if we claim to have a relationship, if we claim to have that two-way commune with God, and yet continue to tolerate and entertain sin, continue to sit with stuff in our life and not be bothered by it, if we settle for less than who God really is for us, numbing ourselves to the present, its presence in our life, and if we continue to walk in the things without doing something about it that entangle us and weigh us down and aren't in line with who God is, what does it say? That we are deceived. That our words don't match our actions. That we're not really living What's coming out is what we claim to live. But it says in verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we walk, if we actively, continually keep bringing our lives to God, our hearts to him, every area of our life and say, search me and see me for who I really am, allowing his light in to change our perspective and bring it into alignment with him, then what does it say? It says that we have some really clear blessings, right? It says that we get to not only have truthful relationship with him, and truthful relationships are great, right? My friendships that where I have, where someone can see me like at my pits in bed, sick as a dog, and on the highs of my like those are the relationships that are powerful. Those are the ones that are meaningful, right? And God says if we have that, if we choose to have that, that we don't have to be deceived, but we also get to gain right relationship with others and we get to experience the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And that word cleansing in that scripture, if you look back at the original, is actually a continual cleansing. The blood of Jesus that paid it all for our sin continues to pay continually for all the stain of our sin, all the things that keep cropping up, that keep reminding us of the things we're doing wrong, or, you know, they're just the stain of it. 
that he's, John points out here that this life of being a disciple is not about being sinlessly perfect. It is not about getting it all right. It's not about that all, right? He's saying that we need to keep coming into the presence of Jesus and receiving his cleansing. That it's not about trying hard and failing. Trying hard and failing. No, it's not about that all. It's about being honest before the Lord, and in that place, he can move the mountains in our life that we can't move on our own. It's kind of like, this is Christine's analogy when I was talking to her about it. (laughs) I stole it. It's a good one. (laughs) She's like, it's kind of like being sat in a prison cell, and God has the key to the prison, and he's opening the door, and he's saying, you get to walk out, and we're sat there saying, we're just going to sit here and stay here. So why, why do we do it? Why, why do we run away from this kind of truly being honest before the Lord and truly bringing everything into the light of who he is? I think sometimes we've tried, right? And we give up trying because we don't always see the breakthrough in our life in, in hard areas and the things that we know we don't get right. We don't see it in the way that we wanted to see it or hoped for. And so... We, um, sorry, I'm just, we start to allow the lies to slip in. And so we start to believe that maybe Jesus isn't really enough for this thing, right? Or that maybe he actually doesn't really love me enough to break this in my life and to see an end to it. And we, we start giving up on really honestly, like if we're truthful with ourselves, on coming back to him with those things again. And we start to hear ourselves say things like, it's just who I am. I mean, I just get stressed when I do these things. These things push on my buttons and this is what happens, you know, or I'm just an anxious person. I'm just a fearful person. I can't live without X, Y, and Z. It's just impossible. I I mean, I need it. Like, it's just one of those things. Or maybe it's that... I just, I don't even really know if I truly believe in the power of the cross. I don't, it doesn't all add up to me. And we start to tolerate things, right? We start to tolerate fear in our life and, and anxiety and doubt and greed and pride and the lust for more and bigger and better and indifference and anger, idolatry, addiction. We start to numb ourselves to the presence of those things in our life and we stop That leads us to stop carving out the time to get back into the presence of the Lord. We stop being active participants in our own life and saying, and stop committing to coming back to the Lord with those things and bringing them into the light so that God can truly change our perspective on them. And it's where we start entering this verse 8 where it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us where our actions aren't lining up and we're deceiving ourselves about how we really live our lives. We claim one thing and yet somehow our walk looks slightly different. And guys, honestly, as I was like preparing this, I was like, why did he give me this scripture? Christian, come on. I was like so challenged. Every time I sat down to do this teaching, I'm like, oh, I'm on my knees again. Um, Because I just realized like, I, I don't know how much time I actually allocate in my life, to say, God, come and convict me. Like, highlight to me the truth about some of the areas of my life. 
Because I know for myself, it's easy, right, to, to take all the bits of God that, like, prop up my life, that, like, that, you know, like, it's easy to fit God into my life. It's much harder for me to say, here I am, and I submit my life to the full truth of who you are. It's easier to try and ignore that God is deadly serious when it comes to sin and the power of sin in our lives. He hates it, guys, and we don't like to think about it. We don't want to think about it because it, it's challenging, right? But he genuinely, like, he, he hates it not because he's, like, up there like this big, mean guy who's like, well, you did it wrong again. He's, he just desperately loves us. Like, desperately loves us. And I, I think about, like, you know, to give an example, like, I have two girls who are almost 10 years old, and the last few years, like, they're becoming little people, and, they're, you know, they ha- I'm starting to see things in their life where I'm like, oh, I just wish you could see the truth about that. Like, you don't need to think that about yourself, or that's not really, you know. And I would do anything for them to understand the truth about who they are. But I can't do that for them. They, I have to just keep speaking the truth to them, but like they have to reach that point where they can acknowledge that they're believing something that's not true to then receive the truth. It made me think about the things that are even harder for me to grapple with this, and that's like, you know, the, the things that like I have things in my past that have been really hurtful, and people have done horrible things, you know, and really hurt me, and, and I'm, it's, I, it's totally justified that I could feel angry about that, right? And it's okay to feel angry and acknowledge that. But I found myself feeling like, well, I quite like to sit in the bitterness camp over here because, quite frankly, you shouldn't have done that to me. You know, like, and I, I just started to think about how darkness slips into our life very subtly. And we can very easily sit in camps of bitterness and, like, resentment. Are those things in line with who God is? Probably not, right? And we have to keep bringing those things into the light of him, not because it's easy and they disappear really fast. Our commitment is to keep bringing them back to Jesus, keep bringing them back into line with who he is. And it goes against everything in our human nature. And now it's time for a funny story. <laughs> so when I, was, um, when I was 18, I felt the call in my life to go into missions. And I spent the next eight years full-time with Youth of the Mission. Um, and I first year of that time, I was in Central and South America. And um, this is me <laughs> at 19 years old in the Amazon jungle. And we did, spent two months trekking in the Amazon. Um, we flew into an area that you could only get to by a small plane. I've never seen a runway like it. I wasn't quite sure where the runway was when we were <laughs> heading in. Um, and I was with a team. There was about 15 of us, and we would... There was a wire and base, and then we would get on these boats, and we would take enough water with us for eight days. And we got the most incredible, life-changing moment for me. This is like one of those moments where my life was never the same. We got to meet people that literally never heard the name of Jesus before. We got to share with them what that means. Um, We got to provide medical treatment to, you know, people that are out in the jungle that literally have nothing to go to into it's it's you get sick you die that's how how it works so um anyway we were out in the jungle trekking and I started to get sick and I was like you know I'm eating who knows what 
it's pretty normal, I'm vomiting, that's okay, we'll just deal with it, we'll keep trekking, right? <laughs> and so, probably about five days into this vomiting episode, <laughs> that I woke up in the morning and I went to stand, and at my legs, I'd lost all the sensation, I was completely paralyzed from my waist down. And, um, and so, at this point, my teammates are like, okay, she's like, something's really wrong here. So, no joke, they put me onto the back of a bicycle <laughs> and wedged me between two people on a bicycle to cycle me to find the nearest, like, medical Amazonian doctor. And so I turn up at a hut that's, as you can see, that's what, and, <laughs> and I, I go to this hut to meet this doctor, and, um, and basically, the doctor's like, they, th- they, they kind of think that I have, via the translator, it's coming that they think I have appendicitis. But it's like, you know, it's bad at this point. <laughs> um, and so there's this moment where I'm lying in this hut and I can see spiders and, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> I feel really, really sick. And my translator, who's my DTS leader, who was from Europe, who's looking at me like, I can't believe this is happening. How am I going to tell her parents that this is happening? <laughs> um, she looks at me and she's like, Claire, basically you have two choices. You are too sick to fly you out of here. You cannot be flown out of here. So your options right now are to take all your clothes off and get on this table and, and, and they're going to operate on you, right? In this, in this hut, going to shine a light onto you and you're going to be in front of this crowd of black Amazonian doctors. That's one choice. The other choice is that you don't do that and you're going to die. Like, and... No joke, this is the choice. And honestly, guys, like, I lay there and everything in me wanted to curl up into a little ball and be like, I am not getting on that table. Like, I'm not. I I did not, even though I knew that that was my choice to live, was to have that operation, I just wanted to, like, I do remember, I just feel like, actually curling up and dying right now feels a lot more appealing and I know it's really funny, and Mandy's always dying every time she hears this. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is, I don't, it's a little bit like this, right? The very thing that scares us, being exposed and saying, here I am, God, like all of me, you get to see every single bit of me, the ugly parts that I don't like. Come shine your light on me and show me what they are. That thing is scary. Exposure is scary to us. But that is what leads to life. It's the only way to life. It's the only way to experience pure joy in our life is to say, here I am. Or we can run away and hide in the dark. It's not going to get us anywhere. It's the first key is to say, here I am, God. Shine your light on me, the light of who you are. And then what does John say? Verse 8 and 10, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all righteousness. He ends this like truth, like shaking few scriptures where he's laid it all up and like being like, all right, come on, it's time to get to work. He said it's so simple. If we confess, if we believe the same as God does about the darkness and the sin in our life, if we come into agreement with the truth, his light of who God is, he is faithful and just and will give us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. 
conviction and confession and repentance, all those scary words that we hate to hear because we've lived through the Bible bashing years and we, you know, we don't like it anymore, right? They are a gift. It's a gift, right? It's our gift to God that says, I welcome you into my life. The act of confession does not forgive us, right? We know that. Forgiveness was bought by Jesus and Jesus alone, right? Forgiveness isn't something we earn. It was our free gift to receive from our Heavenly Father, that God of light, the all-powerful God who loves you and me so desperately. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid that he's not going to hear us when we come. We don't have to be afraid that he's just not going to do it for us this time or that there's not enough. And I was, um, just toward end, I was reading this week to Cohen. This is Cohen's favorite Bible. The boy can't get his head out of it. <laughs> um, and I was reading to him one night, and this really struck me having prepped this. It's the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it says, You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Papa, Jesus cried, frantically searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time and the last, when he spoke, nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from his boy. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear from every eye. And even though it was midday, a dreadful darkness covered the face of the world. The sun could not shine. The earth trembled and quaked. The great mountain shook. Rocks split in two until it seemed the whole world would break, that creation itself would tear apart. The full force of the storm of God's fierce angry at sin was coming down on his own son instead of you and me. It was the only way God could destroy sin and not destroy his children whose heart were filled with sin. And then Jesus shouted in a loud voice, it is finished. Guys, we don't have to be afraid of exposure. We don't have to be afraid of saying, Jesus, shine your light on my life. Every single bit of it. We don't have to be afraid of saying, this is how it is, and this is how I am, and this is really hard, and I am screwing up this bit, and I'm, I feel angry, and I, I hate this person. Like, we don't have to be afraid of being honest with him, because why? Jesus walked that silent moment for every single one of us so that none of us have to, right? He paid the full weight of all of our sin, our past, present, and future, and said, he didn't get to hear the response of Jesus, of God, right? He took it all and he walked that un, I can't, unimaginable moment of silence for us so that we never have to. When we are honest with the Lord, when we allow the truth of who he is to bring our lives in alignment with that, everything changes. And it's in that place that the power of sin is broken in our life. And we don't have to tolerate any of it anymore. We don't have to be like, I have to live with this for the rest of my life. We do not have to because we get to exchange who we think we are for who we really are in Jesus. We don't have to be slaves to it anymore. It's like the best news ever, right? And what I love is that when, you, when we start to grasp this and touch and feel it, 
not only is it like mind-blowing for myself, it enables me to live the full calling of my life, the only calling that Jesus asks us to love him and to love the world as he did. Because suddenly the gravity of what he has done for us makes me realize the gravity of everyone around that I meet every day that doesn't know him yet. And what they have to deal with when they have to deal with all this stuff that our life pours on us, I get to keep bringing back to Jesus and saying, I need you. They don't have that. And it makes me want to tell everybody about Jesus. <laughs> like, I just want to, you know, he came to save us. And we are here to love like he did. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, I think Jacob's going to come back up. We have another, um, like, five or so minutes. And I, I just, I, I wanted us to worship again and... I feel like this is one of those teachings that it's like, <laughs> but I want us to just take a minute because I feel like our life is so busy that it's hard for us to even have the space just to remind ourselves about how great God is, right? How glorious he is, how amazing he is. For some of us, it's about taking a minute to be recommit and say, you know what? I've gotten out of this habit. I've been a Christian a long time and I've kind of just started to assume, oh, you know, I, I'm doing pretty good, like pretty good, right? And he's saying, no, come, keep coming and don't give up. Keep coming. Maybe some of you in the room, I don't know, maybe there's people in this room that have never even heard that Jesus, walking with Jesus is like this. Maybe you thought it was just say a prayer and become a Christian and then deal with the, you know, like get on with life. But let's just worship. And I just want you to just be alone. Like, don't look at anybody else. Just come before this incredible God that we have. Say, show me your glory, God. Shine your light on me. Expose every part of me. Because I'm committing to this kind of two-way relationship that is totally based on love and free gifts. Thank you, Jesus.